All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck sticks? What the fuckstables? What the fuckadelics? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I am fairly exhausted, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to put out a good show for you. That doesn't mean I'm not going to show up for work here. See what happens when you hang out with Andy Kinler. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to fla-fla-fla. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Andy's been uh, working with me on uh, my show, Marin, that airs on IFC, but is also now airing, airing, available on the Netflix in the America. Yeah, so you can watch the entire first season on Netflix if you haven't involved yourself with that. Or if you missed it on IFC, I'm, I'm thrilled that people are digging the show. How about some more Mark Marin publicity? Okay, I'll do it. I'll, you don't have to twist my arm. If you didn't get to see my, my special thinky pain on Netflix because you're not a Netflix person or what have you, well, thinky pain's available. You can go to Amazon and get it. But I'm going to do a big release. I'm going to do a big release on Monday. A big release. So this is like the, the, the pre-release. This, okay, so let's play it like this. Hey, you know, I got this special. If you didn't see a thinky pain, between me and you, it's available uh, on, at Amazon, the DVD of it. Okay, it's gonna, I'm going to put it on the website and everything else on Monday. So this is just between us. All right, so don't, you, don't, you can tell your friends, but don't tell everybody. All right? Did I mention that Harry Dean Stanton, I interviewed Harry Dean Stanton today. I went to his house. And after that, I was so troubled on some level that I interviewed uh, Sophie Huber, the director of the uh, documentary Partly Fiction that she directed uh, about Harry Dean. It's more of a cinematic portrait of Harry Dean. It's quite a beautiful movie. But I needed to get her in here after I talked to him to help me understand him. Turns out she's been trying to understand him for, for decades or a long time, and that we were uh, sort of in the same boat. I'm not poo-pooing the situation or the interview because I did get to sit next to Harry Dean Stanton at his house and watch him smoke cigarettes while I tried to get him to answer questions. And there is nothing not amazing about sitting next to Harry Dean Stanton and watching him smoke cigarettes. Engaging in a a, a sort of a relatively back and forth conversation would have been nice but you can't always get what you want folks no matter how hard you try i'm again i'm not knocking it i think harry dean gave me harry dean or he gave me the harry dean that he wants to give but i can't say it was a smooth sailing and the most comfortable interview that i've ever done but again sitting next to harry dean Stanton and watching him smoke cigarettes was uh a great thing up close okay let's get down to brass tacks what does that mean dozens of people sent me this article comedians may be more disposed to high levels of psychotic personality traits no shit what do you think this is some sort of mystery that uh, some comedians are a little troubled i'm glad that, that they did a survey that they've substantiated it with some uh some hokum researchers that this uh, is filed by Keith Perry. Comedians may be disposed to high levels of psychotic personality traits. A study has found research published in the Britain Journal of Psychiatry found that an unusually an unusual personality structure 
with traits similar to bipolar disorder could be the secret of being funny. Tell my dad, please. I've been just, if this if this article does anything, could you please prove to my father that I'm not like him? I love him, but I'm not like him. I'm not uh, I'm not bipolar. Uh, apparently, I'm I'm just funny. The the researchers said the belief that creativity is associated with madness has increasingly been researched by psychologists and psychiatrists, yet added, quote, comedy and humor have been largely neglected, unquote. Obviously, not all comedians are like this, but the trend does seem that seem these personality traits are more common. It is the idea of the sad clown. Well, thank you, genius. Glad you fleshed that out. Those with bipolar disorder can be prone to comedy as it mimics the comic's ability to combine, quote, ideas or categories of thought to form new and original connections, unquote. Oh, so you just explained creativity. Wonderful. The questionnaire measured four personality aspects. Okay, let's do it. Let's do the questionnaire with these aspects. Unusual experiences such as belief in telepathy and paranormal events. I've been there. I'm out of that game now. Okay, I, I've I've pulled out, but I understand it. Not saying it's not possible, but I'm saying that when I think about it, it leads nowhere good. Okay, that's right. I'm reading your mind right now, and the ships are coming. But again, that's between us. Difficulty in focusing thoughts or distractibility. Difficulty in focusing thoughts or distractibility. I don't have that. An avoidance of intimacy. Yes. Not with you guys, though. But, you know, with with people that are immediately in my life and close to me on a one-to-one basis. But you guys, we're we're cool, man. I mean, I was naked last week. A tendency towards impulsive and antisocial behavior. These people can go fuck themselves because this is a ridiculous test. Fuck them and fuck tests and fuck corporations and fuck my parents. How they get lumped in. So, no, I don't have that one. The comedian scored particularly high on personality traits such as being unsociable and depressive, as well as more extrovert, manic-like traits. Well, I think that this is a, it's whatever, you know, it's a report. You can't throw away, everyone was like, hey, look, comedians are psychotic. No. If you read the DSM, the DSM uh, 2, the big book of, of disorders, everybody's got a little something. Don't hang labels on people. Don't hang a label on a person. They're, they might have some of this. They might have some of that, but no one's all of this. And when you meet somebody who's all of that, you know it. Some people are a little narcissistic. Some people are a little sociopathic. Some people are a little psychotic. Some people are a little bipolar. Some people have uh, serious problems, more specific problems. But uh, don't hang the labels, people. What guy who has broken up with a woman has not been called a sociopath. That word gets a little too much play. Pow, I just shit my pants. Watch it. Watch it. Look, I'm just saying, there's, there's, you know, a real narcissist is creepy. I know. I lived with one. Grew up with one. Difficult. Real sociopaths, creepy. Super creepy. You know who you are. Yep. You know what? You don't actually. Real bipolar people, it's a heavy burden, no doubt. But what I'd like to extrapolate or glean from this study is that 
I'm not bipolar. I'm funny. And I've been diagnosed by a study. Similar to bipolar traits. But not bipolar. Okay? Not bipolar. Funny. Don't need the medicine. All right, let's talk about Harry Dean for a minute. All right, because... This is one of those interviews where um, it was tricky. I saw the film, Sophie Huber's film, partly fiction, and I loved it. Uh, I love Harry Dean. Who doesn't love Harry Dean who likes movies or who is alive? Harry Dean has been this uh, sort of enigmatic figure in uh, film for you know decades. The first time I remember seeing him maybe was in Aliens, but then you see him everywhere. You see him everywhere he was in cool hand luke he was in uh pat garrett and billy the kid he was in dillinger he was in cockfighter the monty hellman film godfather part two is the fbi guy remember remember he was in uh, the missouri breaks great fucking movie marlon brando jack nicholson great paris texas was a big one repo man he uh, he was recently on big love as uh the main creepy mormon dude He's one of America's greatest character actors. If you listen to my Ed Begley episode, him and Ed Begley used to hang out and had a great time back in the day, late 60s and 70s. And here's my point. I'm sure Harry Dean Stanton has a few people in his life that he talks to. Uh, I was not one of them, really. Let me set the scene for you. So I get an opportunity to interview Harry Dean So I, because of the film, Partly Fiction. I watched the film... And quite honestly, it's a beautiful portrait of this man, but it is not a, uh, a heavy dialogue movie. Even in the documentary, this cat ain't talking much. So after I saw that, after I'd set up the interview, I'm like, well, if that's the most she got out of him, this is not going to be easy. But I want to meet Harry Dean. I want to hang out with Harry Dean. So I go to Harry Dean's house up in the hills and, uh, you know, I go in and there he is. He's just waking up. Basically, he's been up maybe an hour. He's smoking cigarettes. He's having some coffee. I set up my mics. He's old, man. He's like in his 80s. And it's, he's got this little house up there. And uh, and I just start in and uh, I'm not getting much. But if you listen, if you sort of read between the lines, you will get Harry Dean. You will get the Harry Dean that Harry Dean wants you to know. And. I thought it was an amazing experience, so I became very frustrated and flustered and left feeling defeated, but still curious. But even this morning, you know, I was, it was last night, actually, I went to bed and I, I was overwhelmed with a melancholy, a word I like to use, because I started thinking about my life and everything I've done in my life and everyone I've met in my life and all the different you know, phases and periods of my life. I'm 50 years old. They're stacking up. Phases and periods, places, people, events, disappointments, successes. They're starting to sort of smear into a, a kind of memory stew. But you're, you can access them. And sometimes it's overwhelming to think like, well, you know, I'm more than halfway done here. And what have I got? What have I done? I'm not saying I don't got much. But when you go over the life, you're like, wow, do you remember that? The way that thing tasted? In 1984, do you remember the smell of that summer night when you were covered in sweat and uh, felt like a superhero? Hmm. They come over you. And, you know, after talking to Harry Dean, after talking to him, I, I wonder if if that's going on or, or if, 
you know, he just sort of exists at, on this other plane within his mind. It's very compelling, but a bit frustrating for me. It was interesting to sit there uh, in this little house with the bits and pieces of, of his life that he chose to surround himself with, not a lot. Because there's that taste of old Hollywood. There's a taste, you know you're looking at a guy that's that's seen a lot, that's lived the life, and that's lived it with some of your heroes, and that's lived it you know, as himself being the amazing uh, actor that he is. And you want stories. But you know, when you're in your 80s, and someone's like, come on, man, tell me about Nicholson. You know, do you really want to do that? I mean, time is, time is of the essence in the way that you know how much you're gonna how much you're gonna waste telling stories as opposed to just living how many stories do you have even if you have a hundred stories sometimes it's better just to keep them to yourself and think about them or just access those memories and sit with them than tell them you definitely feel the weight with harry dean stanton and and i uh I hope uh, you enjoy this or, or understand where I'm coming from with this. And after I talked to Harry Dean, I, I talked to Sophie uh, Huber, uh, the woman who, uh, who directed the film. Here's the interesting thing, folks, with Harry Dean Stanton is that about midway through the interview, this was one of those moments where I'm like, well, Marin, this was the real test to your particular style of uh, talking with other people. Because uh, I did have a moment, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, between us and my, my insecurity was, boy, maybe I should have prepared a few questions. Because there's a moment when you know, my own personal needs from a conversation are what they are. I just like to connect. I like to engage. I like that on, on an emotional level. Not, I'm not talking professionally. I need to do it. And, and, and in my life, in, in, in the life of this show, when I haven't been able to do it, I feel like I'm being abandoned by somebody. You know, there's an emotional liability to it. I, I start to panic a bit. You know, why doesn't this person like me? Why doesn't he want to talk to me? Harry Dean Stanton didn't even really know who I was or what the podcast was. He didn't give a shit. He was trying to help this woman, Sophie, who he was romantically involved with for years before she made the documentary, which is a fascinating facet of the thing unto itself that she wants to go after this you know, whatever she's been missing in the, in, in the soul of this guy. So, well, you know, have the experience for yourself. This is me and Harry Dean Stanton at his home. Uh, I'm watching him smoke cigarettes and, and trying to talk to him. His assistant is uh, around as a buffer. And uh, we did what we could. Okay, let's go there now. You've been in this house for 30 years. Yeah, over 30 years. Yeah. I think I came here in, God, I can't remember now, 1957. Is that when you first got out here? That's when I first got out here, I think. And do you remember? Uh, no, I came out yeah. here in 1949 to Pasadena. And that's, uh, did you come out specifically to act? Yeah, I went to Pasadena Playhouse. And that was a scene, or was it just a, a theater? Yeah, the theater school. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what was the first training like for you? It was all it was very comprehensive. Did you do, uh, like, classical stuff? Oh, yeah, we did everything. Shakespeare, Chekhov, um, all the classics. And, and where did you, where'd you come from originally? Kentucky. <clears throat> Kentucky? Yeah. 
Do you remember? Uh, because I don't ten, I don't sense any sort of uh, Southern accent at all. No, I had a lot of speech training. You got rid of it. Yeah, but you can get it if you wanted to. Oh yeah, I can talk like that flat right now. <laughs> I, can talk, I can do any kind of accent. Yeah, you have a knack for it. Yeah. Can you do Russian? Yes, see, prostjay. The Russian accent is that the accent. I don't know. It's, I've never done a Russian accent. How about Irish? Oh yeah, Irish is very is very easy. Yeah. Yeah. Faith and Bigora. Faith and Bigora and Bob's your uncle and marries your aunt. Is there is there like a a a, tr- a trick to it or is it just a knack to it? So the ear for it. Yeah. It's just an ear. I'm a singer too. I know. I've heard some of your stuff. You like to to sing in Spanish a lot. Yeah, I'll sing Spanish, Italian. Do you think there's... Croatian. Oh, you do some Croatian songs? Yeah. Why Croatian? I just picked it up. I was there, did a movie there. I think, what was the name of that movie? Clint Eastwood and uh, Telly Savalas. Kelly's Heroes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you liked Croatia? Or there's something that connected with you about the music? No, I just happened to pick up one of the songs. What was the song? Uh, What is that Croatian song? Mariane, 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 Chabariake, Vatsky. <laughs> what does it mean? It's a national song. Of oh, sort of like an anthem? Yeah. Yeah. I think the Spanish songs, uh, I, I, I had a friend who lived in Spain for a couple of years, and he said that nobody really uh, can speak about love like Spanish songs. No, Mexican, especially Mexican mariachi songs. They're painful in how much there's uh, the heart is in them, huh? Oh yeah, they're, they're very, a lot of feeling. Yeah, in Kentucky, what was uh, how, how did you uh, grow up? What was your the family uh, situation? What did your your parents do? My father was a farmer and a barber. My mother was a hairdresser. Did they, did he work out of the house as a barber? No, no, no. Oh, he, he went to a shop. shop. Yeah. The shop with the blue liquid and the combs and the yeah. chair, and they do the, <laughs> the shape. red pole. Yeah, the whole barber thing. Pole, yeah. Yeah, there there are people trying to do that type of uh, haircutting now. Yeah, nostalgic haircutting. Yeah. What kind of farming did he do? Tobacco. We grew tobacco. You had the family farm. Fact, I'll have a cigarette. <laughs> it's a. I I, am, I I appreciate your commitment to the cigarettes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Why? Because I'm I'm sucking on nicotine lozenges, and they're not nearly as satisfying as cigarettes. I know. <laughs> have you ever tried to stop? No, I don't want to stop. Fuck it. <laughs> Not, no reason to stop now. Did uh, like tobacco farming? He he had his own he had his own fields and everything. We had ten acres, I think. And did you uh, did you guys dry the tobacco and everything? Did you cure it and hang it? Oh yeah, I in the barn. Yeah, let it dry out. Did you? Uh, was there ever sort of like did you smoke fresh tobacco back then? Could no, you do my that? Old, my old man hated smoking. Oh really? Hated it. <laughs> but, he was a barber people would smoke in his chair and he would take a little syringe and dab it on the end of their cigarette when they weren't looking they kept going out they finally gave up <laughs> and what what made you leave uh, Kentucky ultimately just to drive to act um, I wanted to be an actor I came to Pasadena in 1949 I was in World War II what'd you do in the war I was on an LST on the Navy Landing ship tanks. In the, did you see action? 
Ja, Okinawa, Lingayen Gulf, and the Philippine Islands. And do you, what was your uh, role on the boat? I was a ship's cook, third class. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, my uncle got me into it. Yeah? Yeah, he was a cook in the Navy, 20-year man. And to, and to cook in the Navy, what did you have to know? Not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the meat goes there. It was good duty. You were on a day and off a day. It was the best duty in the Navy. <laughs> yeah. That's why he got me into it. It was pretty uh it was a little a little easier than some of the other people up front, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. But when you guys were at Okinawa, did you have to, you know, get off and shoot and No, we were we were we supplied ammunition for the British gunboats, fourteen inch shells. 20 millimeter anti aircraft shells, machine gun shells, everything. How are you with boats now? Boats? Yeah. I don't like the ocean. Yeah. That's for fish. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, there's something really scary about the ocean. Yeah, it is. I can't even swim in pools where I can't see the bottom. It gives me the creeps. <laughs> yeah. So when you came out here to, to do the Pasadena Playhouse, when how soon before you started uh, actually doing acting roles? In, uh, I see. I, I was there four years at the Playhouse, forty-nine. What's fifty? Fifty-two or three? I went back to Kentucky, did a play there at the college. I was I, I was quit after three years in college, so I went back there and did a couple of plays. I got on a road tour, American Male Chorus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What was it had that? One pedophile in it. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> yeah. What? What was that? What was that? A, a was that a, a live show tour where you just do singing, or how did it work? It was a choral. It was a choral group. Uh-huh. It started out with about twenty people, ended up with eight. I think everybody, everybody started quitting. <laughs> <laughs> Why <you> deserting? Got, <laughs> weren't selling tickets. What happened? Now we'd do go into towns and yeah. sing on the street. And have a concert at the end of the end of the week. <clears throat> so you'd go out to sing on the corner to promote the show, yeah. and, and see how many people would come from the town. Yeah. Did you finish up? Uh, did you finish college? No, I only went three years. Oh yeah, what were you studying? I was studying. I say, what did I study? God, what the hell did I study? <laughs> I took music, I think, for music, and then. Uh, God, I can't remember. Yeah. Wasn't acting, though. No, I took a lot of speech lessons, and and, and then I did a play. Which play, do you remember? Big Million, yeah. Yeah? Shaw. Played a Cockney, Alfred Doolittle. Uh-huh. It was a Cockney accent. Did your family come see you? <clears throat> oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and when you got out here, when, how long before you started getting roles? Well, I was here four years at the Playhouse, and I went back east for three years. I was on that road tour, that American Male Chorus. Mm-hmm. And then it came, when it got back out to California, I quit, too. I started in 1957, I think. Doing television? Yeah, I did a, I did a documentary, an Air Force documentary. Stretch, carried a stretcher. And then what was the first uh, uh, bigger television roles? I did a lot of gun smokes. I did a movie. I did one with Alan Ladd. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He was great, right? Yeah. Little guy. Was he? Stood on a box when he had scenes with women. 
<laughs> when he first saw that, did it shatter any illusions? Or <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't care one way or another. No. It must have been kind of funny. Yeah. There's a lot of movie, big movie stars that seem to be very small. Yeah. It's just something about how they look on screen, I guess. Yeah, James Cagney was small. Mickey Rooney. He was very tiny. Yeah. So when was the first, uh, when did you start really locking in when you realized it was all going pretty good? Uh, well, once I started, I never stopped. I know you've done like, do you even know how many movies you've done? Over 200, maybe maybe 250. I don't know. I was the lost count. Early on when you when you were doing the movies, was there a movie where you were like, oh my God, man, this is this is really happening? Um, like did Cool Hand Luke? Did that have a, an effect? Well, I did a lot of television. Yeah, did when you worked with Newman, was that a big deal? Yeah, well, he, it was just nice working with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor Martin. Yeah, <laughs> he was funny. He was the he was the warden. Yeah, yeah. Were you guys buddies? Oh yeah, he, he's easy to get along with. He seems like a great guy. He was a Peckinpah guy, right? He's yeah. in a lot of those Peckinpah movies. One of my favorite scenes was when Ford came in. And he said, Shirley Martin said to Newman, said, and what are you in for? <laughs> he said, cutting heads off parking meters. And what was that? We ain't never had one of them before. <laughs> said, why'd you do that? He said, just killing time. He said, well, you got some time to kill now. <laughs> If you get your mind right, you'll get along all right with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I I guess maybe I romanticize that era of of, of films in the late sixties and the seventies. I mean, that might have been even been a little earlier. But was there a community of cats that used to hang around back then? I mean, actors. A what? Like a community, of you guys? Like, because I could see you and Struther Martin hanging out. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, we never hung out much. No. No. How about Dillinger? How about uh, Warren Oates? Were you guys? Friends? Oh yeah, we were big friends. He was from Kentucky too. He was. A, he we was, were up for the same roles a lot of times. Oh yeah, yeah. And it and it and it, it when when you were in uh, Dillinger, is that where you met him? Um, let's see. No, I might have known him before that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he played Dillinger, didn't he? Yeah, he was the lead. Yeah. What determines whether or not you'll take a role or not? The director, the actors, the script, mainly the script, and uh -huh. who's who's doing it, who's directing it. And when you did you when you worked with uh, like like Dillinger, John Milius directed that. Do you have recollection of him? Oh yeah, we, he he was he used me. He was one of my biggest fans. <laughs> He's a smart guy, huh? Oh yeah, he seems like a fairly magnanimous guy. What makes a guy a good director? Leave the actors alone <laughs> completely. Yeah, and for the, for the most part. Or if they if if they do give you direction, they know what they're saying. Right, like they're direct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they know they because obviously they've hired you for a reason, so they have to respect what you can do. Yeah, you know? and good directors hire actors that can do it on their own. Uh huh. <clears throat> yeah. And because you had a, a pretty big relationship with David Lynch, I saw the film and, and you you talked to him. Yeah. What what is it that makes you guys simpatico or or connect? He's just a very creative director. He's he, He's uh, he's just a good director. That's all. A good writer, good director. When you when you've read his scripts before, you've done them. It, did they always make sense in your head? Oh yeah, yeah. Because that part, that scene that you have in uh, what's the name of that movie? No, I can't remember. The Straight Story. 
Stray Star. Oh, yeah, I had the last scene. Right. It was like one scene. Yeah, Yeah, it was my favorite, one of my favorite movies. It's the most powerful scene. Yeah. What do you, like, as an actor, what do you draw from when you you sit there? I mean, how do you clear your mind up? Well, he told me, he called me up and told me, he said, said, I want you to be in my movie. You got the last scene in the movie, and I want you to cry. And that's it, and that's what he (laughs) said. So he had me read this... um, what was that? It's on the wall in my, in my bedroom. What's the name of that? Chief uh, Chief Seattle. Uh-huh. It was Franklin Pierce, I think, was the president. He was the first ones to be sent on a reservation. Mm-hmm. And Chief Seattle wrote him a letter. It was a gorgeous letter, powerful letter. It made me cry. So he had me read that before I did the scene. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about? Do you have the... Oh, it's, or it's pinned up over there, huh? It's about, uh, read some of it, Logan. I can't read it. So this is 1854, and he's in front of the President Franklin Pierce. Uh, How can you buy or sell the sky, the warmth of the land, the idea is strange to us. If we do not own the freshness of the air and the sparkle of the water, how can you buy them? Every part of the earth is sacred to my people, every shining pine needle, every sandy shore, every mist in the dark woods, every clearing and hummingbird insect is holy in the memory and experience of my people. The sap which courses through the trees carries the memories of the red man. Wow. <laughs> so he just, he, he just laid that on you. And it had not necessarily any, any bearing on, on the story itself, but on, on a view of the world. It affected it, me, yeah. Yeah. And do you think he knew that intuitively about you? or just, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a? Uh, do you feel a profound connection to the to the world like that, to wildlife and everything else? Oh yeah, yeah. What was the uh, when you started working with uh, Vim Vendors on Paris, Texas? That was a pretty huge opportunity for you. Yeah, that was my favorite film. Yeah, like I have to. I want to rewatch that movie. I haven't watched it in a while. How did you? How did you? Uh, when you, that character was laid out to you when you read that script. What was your first thought? Well, Sam Shepard uh, got yeah. me in it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys friends? Oh, yeah. We're good friends. He seems like a solid man. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a great man. Great writer. Great writer. That's what made the film, his writing. And what were the conversations you had about him, uh, with him about it? Well, uh, we were in New Mexico, I think, or Albuquerque, and we were drinking one night, and I said, I'd like to, I wish I could get a film that with some sensitivity to it and intelligence and on and on. I wasn't, and I wasn't even thinking about, I wasn't pitch trying to get a job from him. Uh-huh. Anyway, I came back, and a week later he called me and said, I want, want you to be in this film. Film Bender's fall, I was too old for it. I think I was 57 years old then. And Sam fought for you? Yeah, well, the Vim Benders came to came here twice and, talked to me about it and after the second time he knew it was all right yeah that that movie is almost a western oh yeah it's 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 kind of a western and that character did you have in i I don't know how you work as an actor but did you did you have any sense outside of an emotional sense of where that guy came from did you have a story in your mind no it was all written but like when he arrived out of the desert you, you know when he sort of showed up did you have a, uh, an idea in your head of where he might have been? 
Where who? That character, because he just sort of arrived, he appears. Yeah, we had this, uh, what do they call it? This, uh, when you you don't talk, it's, uh, what's that medical condition? Trauma, something. Uh, uh-huh. There was a girl in the film, Allison Anders, and mm-hmm. she was a student at UCLA. And she was, uh, she told me she had had that, uh-huh. that condition. Uh-huh. And I asked her why she didn't talk. She said, I thought if I said anything, I would lose it. <laughs> Freak out. So that's yeah. what you went into it with? Yeah. Because like it, it, it's one of those stories, like a lot of Sam Shepard's plays, they have this father figure who is, you know, has some dark past. But that, I guess as the story unfolds in that film. Yeah, his father, he, his father was a big influence on him. His yeah. father was a drunk yeah, and there, I think that character was based on him a bit, right? Yeah, he's kind of a crazy, he's pretty crazy, his old man. Yeah? Yeah. Was yours? Huh? Was your father crazy? No, he was sober and didn't smoke or drink. <laughs> yeah. And that's your mom, that's a picture of your mom there? Yeah. That's a great picture. Yeah. I guess a lot of people first start, first saw you in uh, Repo Man. <clears throat> yeah. And Aliens. Yeah, Repo Man. Is, it's my other favorite film. Alex Cox. Yeah, Alex Cox. I wonder what he's been up to. I haven't seen anything. I don't know. He's kind of nut, too. Is he? But he's very talented. <laughs> and uh, that movie, it was a comedy, basically. Satire. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't have any problem playing comedy. Is there a difference? No, the satire is um, beautiful satire. He satirized everything, religion, mm-hmm. violence. Mm-hmm. Everything. What kind of director was he? What what made him crazy? He's just egomaniacal in a way. Uh huh. But uh, he's still uh, super talented. And and uh, with uh, with Aliens, that was a huge movie. Yeah. Did you? Uh, that was Ridley Scott. Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy working with him? Oh yeah. Did you? Was there? Was that the first time you were on a spaceship? On a what? On a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I first in, he first interviewed me, I said I don't like horror films or science fiction films. He said, "Well, actually, I don't either, but I think I can make something of this one." <laughs> 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 and I say he showed me this big brochure, uh, all these big colored layouts. Uh-huh. I said, "Wow!" Well, I said, "Have you guys got enough money to do this film?" <laughs> <laughs> that's one reason he hired me because, because I was worried about the money <laughs> I thought, this guy's not going to waste any film no <laughs> when you did uh, the uh, the pledge with Sean Penn and Jack Nicholson well actually you the, was the first movie you did with Jack Nicholson the Missouri Breaks uh, Ride the Whirlwind and that's when did, and you guys were pretty tight right oh yeah we used to live together years ago before he made it was that a was that a good time? Yeah, it was. It was rough at times. <laughs> Why? <clears throat> well, it was just the usual roommate arguments and. Oh really? <clears throat> yeah. I, I it would seem kind of uh, menacing to fight with Jack Nicholson. I would think even over uh, milk or <laughs> or something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you living with him when he when he made his uh, first big movie? Yeah, he did Easy Rider, I think. Oh really? That's the one that got him started, yeah. And that's when you were living with him? Yeah. Did you know Dennis Hopper? Oh, yeah. We were up for the same roles a lot of times, too. You and Dennis? Yeah. 
that whole scene in the in the seventies and the late sixties, it seemed like uh, it, I think people had a better time. Do you? No, it's all the same. It is. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you learn as time goes on? Yeah. And are you still friends with Jack? Oh yeah, we've been close friends for forever. <clears throat> We're still close. What do you think of of Hollywood in general, or just being out here? Because you seem to—I don't know. I've always avoided the mainstream. Actually, the Academy Awards and all yeah. that. I've never been to the Academy. No. Awards, no. Because. I just. I just. I don't know. Seems like bullshit, or. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The middle of the mainstream lies mediocrity. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Yeah. And for a guy like you that, that has been in as many movies as, as you've been in and, and, and is sort of a, a notorious person uh, in terms of uh, the quality of work you do and, and also just you're, you're sort of a, a mysterious person to a lot of people, um, are you, do you have any regrets about uh, how things went or did you no. want No? Everything just goes down. Nobody's in charge. <laughs> <laughs> right. It all just happens. Yeah. Did you Were there roles that you wanted to play that weren't able to play? Because you're known as one of the greatest character actors that ever lived. Was there a, part, a point in time where you're like, why am I not a leading man or any of that kind of stuff? Well, I played a lead in Paris, Texas. That's right. That, that, yeah. yeah. And I was offered a series, too, by John Carpenter. Oh, right. The guy. You did yeah, Escape uh, well, to New I York? I could have been much more famous and much richer than I and I was offered a series of playing a um, private investigator of my own series, uh-huh. and I didn't take it. <laughs> yeah, why? I didn't want it too much work. Oh, really? Yeah. And TV's a little different. Yeah, it's a 24-hour-a-day job, a series. Yeah, and it doesn't seem to be... 24-7. A... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work. Yeah. Do you do you enjoy what do you do when you do a when you do a movie and you're on set for a long time like with Paris Texas? I mean, how do you occupy your brain when you're hanging around? Do you read? Do you think? It's, it's always different. There's yeah, no, no pattern. No pattern. No. I thought it was interesting in the documentary that they kind of followed you around when you're out drinking. And oh yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think it's a it's a side that people don't <clears throat> you know necessarily see. About like uh, about Hollywood in general, and that especially you know Dantana specifically has such a, a a sort of mythic reputation. Yeah, it's uh, an institution. <laughs> yeah, how long you been going there? Since it opened, I think in 1964, I think. And it was sort of like a, a watering hole for for a whole generation of actors, right? Yeah. There was like a crew, right? Yeah, I call it the Star Wars bar. <laughs> <laughs> who were who were some of the guys? Was it like Dabney Coleman? Abney Coleman, yeah, he's a big, one of the main characters there. James Caan, Warren Oates, um, every actor in the business has been there. I right. I ate there once. I remember going there with my uh, second wife, and all I remember about it was the food was good, but Rod, Ron Jeremy was in the booth next to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The porn star. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you sit up here now... After the, you know, having the, the career you had, did you grow up with any religion? Oh, yeah. I'm Southern Baptist. <laughs> really? Yeah. Snakes? Huh? Snake handlers? No, None no, of that? Didn't get that far into it. The Holy Rollers, I didn't get into that. Strictly Baptist. Yeah. Baptized. Uh-huh. Was there a fear of uh, God and hell put into you? 
early on? It's all based on fear, all religions. Uh-huh. Fear of God, of a father figure. Yeah. <laughs> it's bullshit. Yeah. Do you remember when you decided that it was bullshit? Yeah, sort of. They had these preachers would come through, evangelists. Mm-hmm. Brother Gibson was one of them. Yeah. We'd go down and shake hands with the with the evangelist after the sermon, you know. He shook hands with me. Give me your hand. Man. <laughs> he moved me on like that. And Put I thought you then something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> <laughs> Just kept you moving? Yeah. Do you have any... Uh, do you have any spirituality now? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't have any beliefs. I believe in nothing. There's no beliefs. But do you are, do you have uh, happiness? Happiness is how there's an inscription on the Buddhist temples is how joyous I am now that I've learned there's no such thing as happiness. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you uh, do you adhere to sort of that Buddhist idea then? Oh, um, Buddhism, Taoism. The, and the Jewish Kabbalah, the real Kabbalah. Right. The Jews don't get it, and the Christians either, really. It's the same as, the real Kabbalah is the same as Taoism and Buddhism. And, and what, is the, what are the principles there? As, uh, <clears throat> the word Tao in Chinese means the nameless. Mm-hmm. There's no definition for it. Mm-hmm. But it's there. <laughs> right. So, yeah. it's a, and what, in, in the Kabbalah, because I don't, I don't have a God either. But I was, I'm, I was brought up a, you know, Jewish. But the Kabbalah yeah. seems like a, a mystical thing that's be, beyond my comprehension. Well, it's the same as Buddhism and Taoism. There's no answer. No, no. There's no individual. There's no individual soul. There's no individual uh, person. Person. No individual identity. Right. It's all uh, one. Yeah, it's all one. And it's all right. One big phantasmagoria. Yeah. <laughs> but fun is okay. Huh? It's good to have fun. Sure. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to have an, another lozenge here. Where do you want to go now? I'm the interviewer. Make it happen. <laughs> Did you know Peckinpah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's another nut. <laughs> What movies did you do with him? Did you do any? Yeah, I did Pat Gary and Billy the Kid. Oh, that's, that was that was good. Yeah, that's where I met Dylan. Yeah, Bob Dylan. He's a little nutty too. Yeah, he's great though. What was it like working with Peck and Paul? What kind of person was he? He's nutty. He's a wild man, right? Yeah, unpredictable, violent. Yeah. <laughs> do you got a, a, a story? You know, we opened the door and he's got a pistol in his hand. He had shot the television out and shot a picture off the wall, holding a gun in front of us. Uh huh. And I backed out of the room and closed it. <laughs> you didn't want to be involved in that. No. And that was the end of it. You just walked away. Yeah, we. Christopherson uh, took the gun away from him. I think. That was crazy times. Yeah. What was the scene with Bob Dylan? Uh, we. We were jogging, we were running, jogging in a scene. We were running across, and we were in the background of a shot. Yeah. We came back, and Peckinpah was screaming, You fuckers, you ruined the shot, you're walking through the shot. And I said, well, I was after, I was after Dylan trying to get him to stop. 
<laughs> just, Which was bullshit. Just threw him under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> when you get when you hang out when you hang out with Dylan, what the hell is that conversation like? I mean, he's a he's a pretty deep dude. Oh yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he had. Uh, he wanted me. To, I was in one. He did a movie. I think I was in that he directed. Had a lot of people at it. Joan Baez. Oh, it's kind of a crazy movie, right? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, he did. I was in that. And we came back to L.A. and he wanted asked me to come down to the recording studio in Santa Monica. Yeah. And I, he was with singing with the band then. And uh, he wanted me to record, come down. And uh, I was two hours late. I thought, well, he's got the band down there and everything. He'd been down there by himself waiting for me. <laughs> Just me and him. Uh-huh. So we got together and sang, made a tape. Uh-huh. You, did you have it? Do you have it still? Uh I don't think he asked me that I want a copy, and I said no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shooting myself in the foot. What song did you sing? Let's see. What did we sing? We sang a Mexican song, I think. When did this passion for uh, for Mexican music take over? Oh, when I was a kid, I saw these Mex- mariachis singing in westerns, and that, that's that's got me hooked on the sound. The mariachi sound is with the... Sometimes there's horns, right? Oh, they're they're the greatest musicians of all. And they got the accordion too, correct? Yeah, the accordion, the tuba, yeah, the bass, especially the accordions and the tuba. I learned that all that stuff comes uh, came up from came through Germany, up through yeah. Mexico. Fascinating, well, the, right? Pol- polkas, yeah. yeah, the conjunto music, polka music, yeah, yeah. I have to assume was like it seems to me like in the in the seventies there was a lot of uh, a lot of craziness, a lot of, like it, it just seemed like because who I talked to Sally Kellerman maybe it's not craziness maybe I just idealize it maybe they feel like there mm-hmm. people uh, you know were were closer to the source and there was more interesting things going on. No, it's the same as it always was. It's, yeah, just different players, yeah. different drugs, different yeah. haircuts, same yeah. shit. So the one big movie. Yeah, everybody wants to just get in the movies. <laughs> They're in a movie. <laughs> it's all a movie. Is it? Including our present conversation. Oh, God, I, I hope it's a good movie. So you never you never got married, never had kids? No, I might have had two or three out of marriage, but uh, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know for sure? No, I've never had DNA tests, but... Uh, they show up occasionally. <laughs> yeah, one of them I'm pretty sure of, yeah. Yeah? Is it, uh, that's a contentious thing? Contentious? Yeah, I mean, you guys, you don't know, but you don't talk. You just don't. Oh, yeah, we get along. Oh, yeah? Me and one of them, a couple more, I never see them. I haven't seen them in years. Yeah? Yeah. They're just out there. They were just from brief affairs. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's a. That must be a sort of a... Yeah, it's a traumatic. It's it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't know about him for years, that kind of thing. No, I knew about him pretty, pretty soon. Yeah. So, what would you like to do more movies? You just want to keep working? It don't matter. Doesn't it? Doesn't matter. No. 
Do you feel like you're done? Yeah, I'm tired of it. <laughs> yeah. Do you when you sit up here, do you do you do you, do you feel okay? I'm healthy, yeah. That's pretty good. I I I really I uh I have a tremendous amount of respect for the genetic disposition that enables you to to continue to uh enjoy yourself the way you do. Yeah, it's it just all happens. Yeah. What did your father live a long time? Uh he was God, he was 80 something, I think. No, so he did all right. Yeah, I can't remember what how old he was when he died. Yeah. You weren't very close to him by that point? No, we were we were never really close. Uh, was there ever a sense that he 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 was proud of you or liked what you were doing or anything? Uh, I'm sure he was. Yeah. How about your mom? Did she see any of your movies or anything? I I can't remember. Yeah. Well, so what was uh, your relationship like with your mom? It was it was we weren't close in a way. She favored my brother, I think, and um. Older, she younger was, brother? Yeah, she. I think she was dying, I think. And uh, I sent her a heart, a little ceramic heart. And the nurse broke it and sent it back to me. I glued it back together and sent it back to her. <laughs> so we were close at the very end. It's a, it's a personal story. Yeah. I don't really want to get into it. Yeah. Well, I think you've done great work, and I and I have a lot of respect for you. And uh, it was a it was a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I'm glad you're still around. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was that interview with me and Harry Dean again. I, it was beautiful. I smelled like smoke when I left, and I wandered down the driveway with my bag of mics and recorders and my booms. Uh, with his assistant saying, uh, "God, I just couldn't, uh, couldn't. I didn't know. I couldn't get through. I couldn't." And the assistant said, uh, "No, man, you did all right. You did all right." And I'm like, "But, but why is he? You, know, you did fine. You did. Yeah, you know, that was that's what you get." And I'm like, "All right, but, but could, could you? Could you just see if he likes me?" <laughs> so now I invited uh, Sophie Huber over to the house to talk about her film, partly fiction, but primarily because I knew I had that Harry Dean Stanton interview, and I'm like, I can't just put that up. I need to figure out where I went wrong or what happened. So I brought Sophie in to ask her what she was looking for. Because I just was looking for a little connection, a little conversation, a little sort of reflection. So this is uh, myself, me, here in the garage talking to Sophie, who directed the film Partly Fiction, which I highly recommend, uh, about her search for Harry Dean Stanton with Harry Dean Stanton. So your last name is pronounced Huber? Yeah. Sophie Huber? That's right. And you directed the film on Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton, what's the rest of it? Partly fiction. Partly fiction. I saw it. I'm I glad s- you did. Yeah, no, I like it. I, I, I love the film. I love Harry Dean Stanton, but he's one of those guys that uh, we all know, we all wonder about. And, uh, and after watch, I'll tell you exactly what my experience was. I thought the film was beautiful. Uh, you know, it was thorough enough, but it wasn't really about uh, being a thorough sort of assessment of his career. It was more of a poetic, cinematic portrait of a guy that's a pretty mysterious guy. 
Would you say that's a good assessment? Yeah, th- because there's a reason why the film is like this. Yeah. Um, first of all, it took a very long time to persuade him to agree to do it. Yeah. Um, he really didn't want to do a documentary. Yeah. And um, he, you know, he believes in living in the moment, so the past doesn't really interest him much. Yeah. Which makes a linear biography somewhat strange. So I, I wanted to create something that that is more in his head, you know, that you feel like you spend time with him rather than just telling, you know, his story from A to Z. Well, you could, yeah, because you could tell that story on your own. I mean, you could line up, you know, you could sit there with the research and film clips and, and, and even narrate your own history of Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, yeah. But that wouldn't serve the same purpose. Yeah, I think I, I just I wanted to create the sort of atmosphere that I experience when I'm with him, mm-hmm. which to me is a sort of um, relaxing. Well, that's and interesting because I saw your film and then I went and interviewed Harry. And uh, and after seeing the film, you know, having interviewed, you know, for four hundred and fifty people, you know, one on one after seeing the film, I was like, this this is not going to be easy. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to engage him in a way that would uh, you know, be conversational. And even if I wait for him to answer, uh, it, might not, it might not really flesh out as an interview. I was nervous and, uh, and I found that I, I had a difficult time. I guess it's difficult if you don't, you know, if you film it, at least the pauses right, you can see are the, expressive. You, oh, yeah, yeah. And no, I, I have a great deal of respect for him. And, uh, and we all, I, like I said, most people who enjoy movies have some sort of relationship with that guy or wonder about that guy. Where did your, when did your sort of uh, fascination or history with Harry Dean Stanton begin? Well, initially, probably when I saw Paris, Texas, you mm-hmm. know, back in Switzerland, um, in do you live the in mid eighties, I suppose. Still, do you live? In no, Switzerland? I live here. Yeah, in LA. yeah. Um, and it it was just this, you know, vi- vision of America that was really fascinating, and this person sort of wandering in the desert, mm-hmm. which is something to us that's very exotic because uh-huh. you know we don't have deserts and we don't have characters like yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then I met him. Through a friend yeah. at, at Dan Tanner's, you know, the bar he hangs sure. out every night. Yeah. <laughs> so you went to a Dan Tanner's with a friend in the 80s. Well, in the 90s. In the 90s. Yeah, so 10 years later, I, I met him. And um, and I just felt I, I knew him, you know, also because he reminded me of, of, of a really close friend of mine. Uh-huh. And, um, and we just developed the friendship, so for you know we've known each other for 20 years now uh-huh now and what, what did you have a relationship with him um were you dating <laughs> the man uh well as much as you can date Harry Dean okay so you for were five minutes you were romantically involved <laughs> with him for a time for a very short period uh-huh a very long time ago uh-huh right so and then this movie you when did you start to get obsessed so you had a romantic relationship with him which is you know fine obviously but well, I'm you glad you approved <laughs> yeah no no i mean i think there you know you're not alone <laughs> I, <laughs> but, i'm definitely not <laughs> but but the the fascination, you know, I, I don't know what your friendship was over, you know, the period after that. I mean, it's because you've known him for 20 years or, or, or more. And what I felt in watching the film, 
you know, outside of having a respect for the guy, that there there is this feeling that you know you want something, you want you're you're looking for something. I, I I mean, I don't know exactly what your relationship is, but I felt during the film that I wanted to know more about this guy, and and what ultimately happens when you watch the film is like you get a sense of of his amazing being, but there's still a tremendous amount of mystery to that guy. Yeah, and I think that's what interests me. Yeah. And um, there's just something that, um, well, maybe I should say also, before I started doing the documentary, I started recording songs with him. Yeah. Because I thought that was just, you know, like incre incredibly moving the yeah. way he sang. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's amazing. The song in Paris, Texas, and some of the songs I've heard him do elsewhere, uh, it seems to be really where you can get a sense of, of where his heart is almost. Yeah. And, and, and that's where I felt where he was most truthful, you know, uh -huh. where he really opens up yeah. in a way emotionally that he doesn't when he just talks. Right. And um, so that's how it all started. And then I um, and he didn't want to do that either first. Yeah. Um, and then also what happened, you know, in his face, uh, he he's so expressive mm -hmm. when he sings these songs. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's just um, that's just heartbreaking, really. So when you start looking at him through a, a lens and you start letting him sort of live and breathe there because there's a part of him that lives there, you know, you know on, on camera, uh, that there, there's something about that guy that makes him so recognizable and so consistently visible in American cinema. And people mm -hmm. you know, of my generation, I'm probably a little older than you, you know, you remember him from Alien, you remember him from Repo Man, you remember him from Paris, Texas. And then as you get further into film, it's like, oh my God, there he is in that and there he is in that, that there's some part of him that lives on, on film. And it, and, it, and it happens naturally, I think. But do you find that after you shot the film and after you have spent this amount of time with him personally, that do you feel that your, your film is... A, is you, did you get everything you wanted out of it? Um, I, th I did get the feeling that I wanted, you know, yeah. the sort of atmosphere. And uh -huh. I think... Um, and that's what his friends say too, which makes me happy that um, the film captures his his essence somehow. Yeah. Without him, of course, you know, I wanted him to talk a little more and so on, but that's why I had to find all these ways to um, fill the holes with clips and, and with songs. And then at the end, I mean, does it really matter if somebody exactly tells you what happened in their childhood or is it as interesting if they... You know, if you just know something went wrong. Well, does it? I mean, do you feel, I mean, because in like... A way, in a way, I feel, no, you don't really need to know. Because a lot of the times if people actually say what exactly happened. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily make you feel more... Connected to Connected to them. To them. I and agree. And he knows also, I think he plays a little bit with it because... Mm. He knows that the mystery is what sort of what him, makes him interesting. So he's aware of that. I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah, because I, I I felt that in talking to him that the idea, like you said when you came in here, that he lives in the present and there's sort of some some Buddhism involved and you know the it, it is what it is business. Like I couldn't quite tell, and I guess I'm just going to talk to you about you know my experience with my conversation with him and your relationship with him in the film because I think the film is beautiful, and I think that what was was amazing about it was that even when he was in relationship with uh, with David Lynch or Chris Christopherson, I mean these guys are guys that have long term sort of male bonds with this guy. 
you still don't get the feeling that he opens up and starts, you know, telling stories and, and being funny. But I know there's got to be a couple of people in his life. He strikes me as the kind of guy that's got about two or three guys that he really trusts mm-hmm. and they're going to get the full treatment. They're going to see, you know, they're going to accept him for exactly who he is. And if he needs to talk, he'll talk to them. Yeah. Do you think you feel that's true? Yeah, that's true. But my experience with him with that Buddhist idea that, you know, the living in the present it is what it is, is that um, I couldn't help but feel like, because there was one moment when I was talking to him about, you know, he he brought up the same story that's in the film, the, the mother giving her the present, the box. Oh, yeah. And, well, he told that story again, but then somewhere in the middle of it, he says, like, you know, but I, I don't want to, that's all I'm going to talk about it. But yeah, and that was a difficult thing. I'm not going to, you know, like there was something... So that implied to me that that even though he he lives in the present and he has this philosophical disposition about who he is in the world, that there is a, a, a heartbreak and that there is yeah. a struggle going on in there that would be I, I I agree with you, but it would be interesting to 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 hear what that is, don't you think? Um. Yeah. Well, I know parts of it, but of course I would you know I yeah. would only reveal whatever he reveals. Well, sure. Sure. Um. But in a way, yeah, I mean, you know, something went, went wrong and that sort of pain, you know, probably made him move through all these films and... Yeah, yeah. And the music. And the need to, to sort of get out of himself or become other people, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but it's also, you know, who many people do you actually talk to where you share your most personal issues? Well, I do a lot, but I mean, I'm not okay. normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's sort of what I do, you know, and I, and 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 I find that when you do talk about it, but I was not in this position with Harry Dean, and you know, and I apologize if I'm just bringing in, you know, to I'm bringing in you into this conversation to somehow uh, understand what exactly happened with me uh, in my experience <laughs> with him. But I've interviewed a lot of people, and a lot of people have been pretty candid with me. I guess what I'm getting at is that he's one of those guys, you know, you project a lot onto. You want meaning out of that guy. You know, I mean, and when you even in the movie, you're like, well, what's going on? You, you know, because he's such a brilliant actor and he's so, always been so mysterious. And, you know, I wanted stories from the old days, but he kept saying uh, eh, they were no different than today. I'm like, really? Come on. Yeah, I know. I know it's uh, excruciating trying to interview him. <laughs> <laughs> How many hours did you spend? Well, actually, not not that many. We would uh, we were there. At his house, maybe eight afternoons and two hours, you know. Uh-huh. So, so that was fine. It wasn't a huge amount of. And also, you forget how old he is. hours of silence. Right. <laughs> and you forget how old he is. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's old. He's eighty-seven. Yeah, he's not. You know what I mean? Like, so there's part of you because there is a timeless element element to him because of all the movies and you know what, what we've seen of him. You don't really associate with him with an age really and even when you're sitting there it's still like he's very purely harry dean stanton but then there's party of things like, oh he's 87 i mean you know that's got to have some effect yeah. and when you how old was he when you met him was it 20 years ago mm, yes so he's like in his mid to yeah. late 60s yeah yeah so he was still sort of on fire huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> why did you come to hollywood um well for five minutes, I wanted to be an actress. But, Only uh, five minutes, yeah, yeah. and that that quickly got <laughs> that beaten did, down. Yeah, that did it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what broke you? What, what what made you realize like this ain't gonna happen? It was just too confusing to me. Oh yeah, you know to to be somebody else. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Because, you, you know, there's enough struggle in being you. I guess. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. You know, if they, <laughs> if they, either I'm going to empty this out or I'm going to finish this. You know, doing other yeah. people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is this the first documentary you did? Yeah. Yeah? <clears throat> and what did you, did Harry watch it? Yeah, he, you know, it premiered last year at the Venice Film mm -hmm. Festival. And he was there? No, no. <laughs> Couldn't get him out. Couldn't get him on the plane. No. And then I um, gave him a DVD then. Yeah. And he never watched the film. He He's had it for six months and he never watched it. And then finally he came to the screening at the LA Film Fest. Yeah. And uh, and he liked it. Yeah. Except he said at the end, I look so fucking old. <laughs> he said, uh, yeah, man. But he, no, I could tell he, he liked it and he loved, you know, the attention he's he's getting. Even he, you know, he wouldn't admit that, but he was moved by. Yeah. I, I mean, he's making, yeah. Standing ovation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's sweet. Do you find that there's a weird detachment from him and his work? I mean, outside, like, because when I was talking to him, I mean, out, like, there was a moment where I don't know why, why I'm just sitting here psychoanalyzing him with you, because I guess I want answers, because I think you might have them. But there was a moment where I did, I brought up, and I think you brought up as well in the film, the the idea that you know he was never really a leading man, you know, and and he was very quick to say like, "Oh, Paris, Texas." Mm -hmm. yeah, that was, a, you know, that was a, like, like he, 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 like. There's part of me that thinks that this sort of like here and now business is a way for him to at least accommodate or, 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 you know, kind of comfort himself that mm -hmm. it may not have really panned out the way he anticipated. Well, I, I think you're, you're right. Yeah. I mean, he, he. I don't think he would analyze it himself, but um, I think, I think that's probably pretty much the case. Also that. Um, he he did more music after it didn't pan out that because he did think he would be a leading man right. after Paris Texas right and that didn't happen right and I I think it really it did hurt his ego so he tried to find ways to detach from that ego right and and sing and and you know, and and engage in a different way yeah but it's it's interesting to me because he's one of the most respected character actors that you know that's ever happened but it's not you know it's still you still got an ego. Yeah, and he was yeah, and that's the funny thing, you know, because he, this whole Buddhist thing, yeah, um, he's not entirely believable in it. Yeah, when, when you know par parts, yes, but then, yeah, he clearly does have a ego, and anger, and he has a funny way to interpret the whole yeah. Buddhist philosophy. Right, yeah, sort of in a way where where he can just say, "Well, I don't care about anything. I'm not responsible for everything," and I mean. That's not probably how it was really meant to. Right, he does. He, yeah, his he does. Fuck it, Buddhism. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a fine line between the here and now and fuck it. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely got that. I definitely got that. You know, and we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, his his uh, kids. You know, and that thing, like, that just seemed, like, there just seemed in conversation with him that there was a lot there that he was just, like, on, you know, by personal policy not going to address. Mm -hmm. But it was right there under mm -hmm. the surface. And there was, you know, there was anger there. There was complexity there. And it was just not, you know, he, he wasn't going to give yeah. it to me. And he gave you a little bit. But still there, you know, it's you still feel that. There's something palpable under there. Yeah, it's interesting because he does always say exactly the same words. Like, if you ask him the same question again... He says it exactly the same way, uh -huh. with the same pauses, uh -huh. 
And this, at the same, you know, he says at the at the same position, he says, I am not going to talk about it. Uh-huh. So it's sort of a, pre, it's like a prepared it's line. Like a personal script. Yeah. That's interesting, right? Well, Sophie, thank you for talking to me and rounding this out because, you know, I, after talking to him, I just wanted to make sure that I did the, uh, the film justice because I really enjoyed the film. But I thought, I just thought it was hilarious that, you know, for me, you know, that after watching it, knowing that I was going to get to interview this guy who I respected a lot, but after watching the film, in my mind, I was like, well, if that's all she got out of him, you know, conversationally, yeah. I mean, the film is a lot more than a conversation, then I'm going to have, I'm going to have a hard time with her, you know, and, and, but this, it makes me feel better. And I thought, I think also bringing your perspective into it in terms of what you had to deal with. Uh, and and in terms of how truly you know mysterious this guy is and and remains, uh, I it, I think it's uh, it, it helped me out. Yeah, I'm 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 glad you didn't get more out of him than I did because otherwise you should have done the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking to me, Sophie. Thank you. All right, that's the show, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. It was a little unique, a unique experience. Remember. Not a psychopath, not bipolar, just funny. And and a bit inconsistent at that, I might add. Go to WTFPod.com, get all your WTF Pod needs met. Get that app. We're putting the premium content on that app and giving you a little primer, me and Brendan McDonald, telling you about the episodes in bulk, things you might have missed. Doing the premium content thing. Uh, what else we got? JustCoffee.coop, of course, as always, if you get the WTF blend, I get a little bit on the back end of that. Leave a few comments. Check the episode guide, will ya? Don't pester me. Thinky Pain, my most current special is an hour and a half of me being me, being funny, is available at Amazon. I'm going to un- unveil that, uh, that DVD in a bigger way on Monday. <laughs> so I'm teasing the unveiling. Is that the right word? I always associate that word with a tombstone because I'm a Jew. Oh, God, I got to go shoot my show. I got to go. It's morning. I'm all coffeeed up. I've eaten my oatmeal because I know that will fix everything in my heart. Sure, man, buy it. Sure, believe it. Believe the hype. All you need is oatmeal. Boomer lives! Boomer lives!